Morning, everyone. Good to be with you. And uh, if you have a Bible, go to Galatians chapter 1. I uh, just want to say a special welcome if you're new, visiting, just really glad that you're here, uh, glad that you got to, to join us today. I uh, just want you to know that, that what you're uh, seeing and witnessing is, is very simply a worship service where we worship um, Jesus Christ. And we believe that Jesus was God who did come and did live the perfectly obedient life for us in our place as he was fully God, fully man without sin, and that he died and paid our debt and rose to validate all of his works uh, that could actually deliver us from our own sin, and he rose to gift us his Holy Spirit and to reconcile us back to himself. And so we, we celebrate this reality. We're, we're a happy people and a joyful people because we believe Christ has truly done that. And so we uh, worship him by singing. That's why we sing songs. So we don't do it just because we believe it's cultural or, or cute. It's actually God's idea as a way to worship his own name and celebrate the works of what he's done in Christ. And so that's why we sing the songs we sing. We actually sit under uh, the preaching of God's word. It's another way that we worship him. Uh, and I always say that he's an infallible God that exists in infinite perfection. I do not exist in infinite perfections, and I am deeply fallible, yet God uses the means of this grace to communicate his truth. So we always pray that God would help us to hear what is true and, and to let go of what could be false. Uh, and then we also worship Jesus by being generous because God's been most generous to us and himself. We give silver boxes on the back wall. I always say if you're new, visiting, not a regular attender, please, uh, we are not interested in funds. We really deeply want you to know this Jesus Christ that offers fullness of life in his name and his name alone. Uh, and then we also observe the table each week as a way to remember Jesus. It's very easy to forget the centrality of Jesus in all that you do and all that you are. And so Jesus gave this gift to the church not to make you more righteous, not to uh, make you more favorable in God's eyes, not to to even save you, but to uh, remind you and nourish you through seeing once again through the visible meal of what Christ has done in breaking his body and shedding his blood. So um, that's why we do that. Um, before we dive in and pray, I'm going to read Galatians 1, uh, 11 to 24. We're going to finish uh, the first chapter today. So if you have your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 1, and uh, here's what Paul is going to say. He's going to come off the heels of last week where he is deeply concerned about one thing primarily, and that is that um, the Galatian churches, plural, actually hold fast to and don't desert the true gospel. And we talked last week, we teased out a little bit of what false gospels are, what true gospels are, what to listen for, uh, how to be a good listener, a good Acts 17 Berean, and uh, what in our day and age God would want as we still see it, and what God would want from the very beginning of establishing his church. So uh, Galatians chapter 1, that's after 2 Corinthians, I'm going to get there. This is what he says, pick up in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, so he's, he's writing to people who are Christians, or at least claim to be Christians, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw no, none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said. I love this. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's ask God for help. Father, thank you that uh, by your act alone can you allow any bit of spiritual movement to happen. Uh, Father, thank you that it does not matter how good a sermon is or how many people gather in a room or even the personalities that exist, but God, if your Holy Spirit does not act and does not illuminate, Father, we are still in the same futile place we once found ourselves. So, Father, would you give help where we need help, give sight where we need sight, give discernment where we need discernment. Uh, Father, would you speak to us? Would you help us understand more fully than we currently do, the good news that continues to be good news and not just old news, that Christ died, that Christ rose, that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, that Christ will return, and that all who are His are done through Christ alone and faith alone, by grace alone. Father, we also think of uh, just men and women, children who are impacted by uh, the current storms, Hurricane Florence, and even of the typhoon near Hong Kong. Father, we pray that your name would be glorified, that you would act and intervene. Thank you that you can still waters in an instant, that you could dry up all waters on dry land and move it out to sea. Would you do that? God, would you protect families? Would you use this as a way for your church to be your visible hands and feet? And would they be urgent in caring for those in need and in uh, sharing the saving news of Jesus Christ? Um, Father, would you help us to to pray for them? God, your return is needed. And uh, Father, your gospel is ever more urgent as we do not know our span of life on this earth. So give us urgency. Give us delight in you. Help us where we need help today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 1. Um, just to summarize, if you missed last week, I, I always want to say try to get caught up or because every verse of the Bible builds on top of the other. That's why uh, some of you guys even uh, had some people last, last service, hey, I noticed that you kind of take books of the Bible and go through them. Well, that's because uh, we want to teach you the full counsel of what God said and to really understand the full counsel of what God said and even protect the preacher from preaching something that he wants to preach. He has to be tethered to what the text is saying. So uh, preaching through books of the Bible helps the Bible speak for itself. It helps the preacher preach what God has already said. Um, so as you're listening, what you want to listen for is, is this person uh, preaching something that's outside of what I'm reading, or is he simply telling me what God has already revealed in his written word? And so uh, we like to go through books uh, so that we can see all that God might want to say to us as a people. We're in Galatians. And last week, Paul started out emphatically declaring that he's got a burden for the church in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. He is deeply concerned that this gospel that they once believed in is a gospel that they're tempted to desert. Now, even though the gospel's beautiful, even though the gospel's powerful, there's a temptation in our hearts, in our flesh, to drift from this good news that we once believed in. Now, here is why this is so important in our day and age where we find ourselves in just the Christian church, especially in America, is um, this good news that Jesus came, that Jesus gives his wrath-absorbing death and his uh, infinitely righteous life. He credits that to us on no work of our own to reconcile us to God. He he, this, this great news that we hear, whether we heard it when we were 5, 15, 10, 25, 65, we, we believe it's the starting point, not the entirety of our life. So, so it kind of kicks us off on this Christian journey, but then we move on to better things. And Paul's going to remind you, you never desert the gospel. Like you never veer from the gospel. You never move on to better things. This is the most glorious news you'll ever hear. And it's not just the most glorious news you'll ever hear. It's the most glorious news that will continue 
continue to keep you in the faith and sustain you to the very end. And that's why we're so excited about always, no matter what text we're in or book we're in, finding where it points to Jesus. So the gospel is really the story of God in the Bible that centers on Jesus. So I always say, if you're new to Christianity or new to the Christian faith, the Scantron test answer is always Jesus. Uh, Who do we worship? Jesus. Who does the Bible speak about? Jesus. What does it center on? Jesus. What does it point to? Jesus, right? That's why we're going to say that and hear that and herald that and enjoy that. And so Paul wants them to know this. And we said there are two ways that people are tempted to desert the gospel especially where we find ourselves today. One is, it's too easy, so I need to add to it, right? So it's not Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's Jesus plus, right, my denominational tradition, speaking in tongues, my water baptism, right, my systematic theology three, my church attendance, my prayer life, my whatever it is. You add to it because you think in some way, shape, or form, there's no way that message is that good, so help, let me help him out. Um, The other temptation to desert is by believing that because he forgives us freely, that we can just live how we please and do what we want and just abuse grace. We showed how both of those uh, avenues are totally futile and don't lead to life and don't even make sense. Um, So he's going to continue to remind this church, hey, be rooted in this gospel. And as I was studying this week, um, I've got to tell you, there was one thing that kept coming to my mind. And it was that we have got to understand that it was God who loved us first. Like, like just, just grace pursues. Like, if you're going to see, like, a theme in this text, it's that, that grace is something that goes after you. It's something that pursues you. Um, I was thinking about this week as I was in my office, just kind of, like, looking at the passage and reading over it. I was thinking, if I could dwindle down the good news, it's that God loved you first. It's that God's in pursuit of you. It's that God sent, God initiated, God saved, God called, God incarnated, God restores, God redeems, God rose, God will return. It's that that he does it all, and we're just the glad recipients of him coming after us. Like, that's really the good news. If I could dwindle it down into the gospel, it's that God does all these things. And I really had to take some time, because as I was studying this passage in particular this week, and as I was thinking about it, I go, man, do I... Do I really believe that? Because a temptation in me to drift from the gospel of grace is to feel often like I have to prove myself to him, right? Like there's just something I must have to do, right? Like I sure got to, you know, I don't know, counsel a little better or preach a little bit better or I don't know, like my Bible study needs to get a little bit more rigorous or there's those temptations in me to think that I have to earn what he's already freely given me scandalously in the gospel, and, and, and so me knowing that, I, I love that really this creates security, knowing that God's the one who saves, God's the one who pursues, God's the one who goes after. And I had a moment in my office where I, I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but where, where I sat there and I thought to myself, if by me sitting here doing nothing, that God still loves me. Like just sitting in my office chair. Not writing a sermon, not counseling, not emailing, not loving my wife, not shepherding my son, not doing any of those things that because of his work, he loves me perfectly and fully through his finished work. Like, do you believe that? By just sitting in your seat here doing nothing, that, that, that's, that's, that's grace. That, that's what's crazy about our good gospel that we believe in. And, and if you read this passage here, I mean, it's just, it's just, you look, it's just Paul, it's just God who was after Paul. God was just pursuing Paul. God pursued all of us like he pursued Paul. He was the one who loved Paul. Paul on Damascus Road wasn't eager to meet Jesus, right? You think he was eager to meet Jesus and love Jesus and be an ambassador for his name? He had letters to kill Christians and all who followed him. So here's what he's going to write in verse 11. 
He's going he's gonna to give us a nice continuation of last week. He's going to reemphasize this gospel and explain this grace that pursues us and how it changes us. He says this, verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, the gospel that I preached to you, and he makes an interesting, distinguishing statement. He says, it's not man's gospel. We talked last week about false gospels and true gospels, false apostles and true apostles, false teachers and true teachers briefly. But here he mentions, and he says it wasn't man's gospel. So, so what he's saying is, first is it's not man's in the sense he goes, I didn't make this stuff up. Like, like I didn't get taught under Gamaliel, my leading rabbi. He didn't teach me this gospel. That's not where I learned it. I learned it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he's repeating what he said last week, and this is super important. He goes, I wasn't trained by men in this. The origin of what I'm unpacking for you is not from me. The origin is from God. Like, what I'm, what I'm giving you is not Paul's wisdom. It's the infinite wisdom of God. The, the insights I'm giving you, this gospel that is, that is good news, is from God himself. It's not just because I thought it was a good idea. Now, here's why this is so important. Um, the interesting thing with Christianity is it, it never really allows itself to be just some other world religion. I don't know if you knew that. Like, like it doesn't allow that. It, it, it always says it's the truth, and it always says it's the only truth. <laughs> like, like, it claims its own exclusivity. And, and this is why Paul says, I received it from a revelation of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is God. So God himself is the one who gave me this. Here's why this is important. Christianity does not come from a bunch of men and women getting together speculating about what God should be like so they form a religion and traditions and have everybody follow those. That's called a cult, right? And then they do all of those rules because they have to abide to those rules in order to gain their 70 virgins or get their level of heaven or whatever it is. But but the gospel of grace is crazy because it says, no, no, God reveals himself. We don't need speculation. We are given divine revelation. And God himself says, this is how you're loved fully in my name. This is how you belong to me. This is how sin is dealt with in Jesus Christ. And so there's, there's clear communication, not just crazy speculation. And so the crazy news of the gospel is you're loved as a son when you obey and even as a slave when you disobey. That's the good news of the gospel, that that he loves us still. It's not indicative on works and rights and merits because he was the one who initiated the whole thing to begin with, which we'll see in just a moment. But this is why Paul's saying this, and this is why we have to understand this. Christian faith was not formed like ever the belief where they're kind of looking up at the sky thinking we're grasping for God. We're trying to figure out what a deity should be like. Christian faith says God's told us. God's revealed himself in creation, in the scriptures, in the personal work of Christ. And then through his Holy Spirit and his people. Like God actually wants you to know him. He's actually given ways to know what he's like. That's why I always say, man, I wish you knew what God was like. We got Bibles free in the back. Pick one up. You can read it. Anytime you open it up, I'll tell you what he's like. He'll speak to you. I wish God would speak to me. He speaks to you every time you open your Bible. And, and here he's, he's showing us this understanding that's so, so important. And this is why he says it's not man's gospel. So in, basically what he's saying is man's gospel is a false gospel. Now, um, here's what man's gospel simply says. So you're not like, whoa, what's man's gospel? Man's gospel simply says, um, here's my deity. Here's my hope. Here's my heaven. Here's my salvation. And XYZ is what I have to do to get that, and I will pursue XYZ regardless of the cost or the wake of destruction behind me to get that. That's man's gospel. 
So you have a deity that you want to appease. It may not be the God of the scriptures, but it's maybe your comfort. Maybe it's your joy. Maybe it's your security. Maybe it's your, I don't know what it is. But, but here's what's important as we see this is what this does for us is this means regardless of how you came in here, you believe in a gospel. It may not be the Christian gospel, but you believe in a gospel. And, and here's what's even amazing. You might be an atheist, you might be a pantheist, you might be a pluralist, but did you know you're just as religious as all the religious people that bother you? Because you have a doctrine, you have a dogma, you have a thought, you have a, a way of getting that God that you want to worship, and so you do those things to appease that thing in your life. So you even live by faith to get that dogma or that doctrine. You have a list of rules and, and ways in which you live. So everyone believes the gospel, but he says only one is a true gospel. The rest are man's gospel. And well, I didn't preach you man's gospel. You don't need speculation. God gave me divine revelation from himself. And so this is why he shares his previous life. Verse 13. He says, for you've heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I love this. The good news of Jesus Christ is that you don't stay the same. <laughs> I talked about this last week. I mean, I mean, how awful is the news of God coming in, the, in Jesus Christ and going, hey, I, I love you, I'm for you, I rescued from Satan's sin and death. I was your substitute in your place, wrath-absorbing death, gift you my righteousness, and hey, man, just, just try to be a little bit more moral. Like, I'll just make you a tweaked version of your old self. That's not the, the good news of the gospel is he literally makes you a new creation, that he takes you from being dead in your sin to making you alive in Christ. He takes you in dominion of darkness and brings you into his marvelous light. He takes you as an enemy of God, makes you his friend. He takes you as a, uh, just someone who is walking and living as if they want to be the creator. And he humbles you to enjoy him as the creator so you don't chase the created things. He does all of that out of grace, out of kindness, out of love on our behalf. So the good news he shows you is the offer on the table to you is you might think, well, I got too much baggage. You don't know my past. You don't know my sins. You don't, well, the objective evidence Paul just gave is uh, that, that God knows all of that, and that life can be a former life. That life can be a previous life. That no one in here has the ability to say, well, grace can't get me, because Paul's going, look, if anybody can say that, it's me. He says to Timothy, I was the worst of sinners. And all of us, if we were to open up, right, the skeletons in our closet, we could all join with him in saying this. And I love that he shows us this, that Paul and the scriptures want to continually draw you back to the good news being good news because when the good news is believed in and received, the offer is that all that was can finally be a former life, that he makes you new. And I love how Paul lays out his former life. He just reminds him of it. He's like, you remember how violent I was against the church of Jesus Christ? You remember how deplorable I was, how wicked I was, how hateful I was, how aggressive I was? You remember me? And yet God changed me. I love it. It takes away any ability for any one of us to say we're outside of grace and mercy. And then he says something fascinating in here. He exposes kind of in there the futility of external religion. Because <laughs> I don't know if you pick up on what he's saying, but he says he wasn't only violent towards Christians. His motivation was religious discipline. So, so in sense, what he's saying is, um, in, in me trying to uphold the law, I kept breaking the law. 
Do you see that? Like, like even if you thinking you're super righteous and good, you're breaking the law by your good deeds. This was me in college, freshman year, shared about my crisis of faith last week. Man, three months in the scriptures, God reveal yourself, and I learned, man, I was externally, me, growing up in high school, a morally grade A kid. I thought growing up, Christianity is don't do all the stuff God hates, so don't cuss, don't have sex before marriage, try not to, I don't know, maybe smoke, uh, maybe not drink, you know, try to be, have, have, you know, a church attendance and youth group that's, that's fairly consistent, bring all your friends, it's extra points. I, I did all of that. I was perfect at that, and what God revealed to me in that time of three months, freshman year in college, was that my good works were what were damning me. Like, like just, then he got into my heart. This is why he work, moves from an external righteousness Old Testament to internal righteousness Sermon on the Mount going, oh, cool, you haven't murdered? Look at your heart. You've hated. You've got aggression. Oh, yeah, you haven't committed adultery? Yeah, but you lust. And you need a righteousness that supersedes a righteousness that could be found. And it's only found in Christ. That's what, that's what he reveals. So even Paul is showing us here, do you see the futility in even trying to achieve and earn grace through your external actions, through your moral achievements? I don't know if you've ever gotten around self-righteous people, but they're wildly aware of your shortcomings and completely blind to their own, right? And only the Spirit of God can break into that and transform that, and that's what happened to Paul to where he does not have to hide. He's going, man, this is, this is who I was. And this is who Christ is. is. This is how Christ changed me and saved me. He also says in here before Christ, remember I was so zealous for the traditions of my culture, my religion. Now this is very, 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 very important. Because a problem in our days, people go, well, I mean, how can people in that religion be wrong because they're so committed, right? They're so zealous for it, right? They're more committed than Christians, right? I mean, they have their Bible memorized, man, from like age two. They, they, they do all these things. They take these trips and journeys. Man, they're just more committed. And Paul is showing us something very important. Saul was deeply committed to the Jewish faith and traditions of his fathers. He acknowledges it. But does zeal and commitment make it truthful? No. You can be unwaveringly devoted to the wrong God. You can be absolutely zealous for the wrong God. You can be committed to a false system. And then somebody go, well, no, 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 man, they're like my neighbor, man. They're, they're just so nice. I mean, they're so moral. I mean, they have such a nice family. It's nicer than like all the Christians at my church. I mean, so, so that has to mean something, and lots of times they probably are. But guys, we're not saved because we're nice people. We're saved because of grace. This is why, I man, when people come up to me all the time, like, oh, it's all the hypocrites in the church, man. That's why I don't become a Christian, man. Listen, yeah, the church is filled with hypocrites, yeah, I mean, they are, but man, would you look at the God who continuously, relentlessly pursues them despite their failures? Like, man, you've got to look at him. You've got to look at his grace and his ways and his works. Yes, we're called to be a holy people. Yes, we're called to walk in the light. Yes, we're called to a above reproachness in the sense where God fuels us and empowers us and conforms us more into the image of the Son. But man, please do not look at me, right, for your reasons for following this God or not. You've got to look at who God is in his own abilities, in his own name, in his own ways. We want people to see him, and a testimony is, even in our failings, he was crushed for our failings. Even on the days where we would not add up, man, he added it all up for us. That's the good news of grace in this gospel, and Paul's trying to help them understand this. 
that many times this will be true. You'll see nice people. you see more committed people. Listen, you have to understand that there will be people in hell that were nicer than you on this earth. And there will be people in heaven that were more annoying than anyone else you ever met. That's just, you're going to see them. I mean, so, so listen, man, the, 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 the saving work is not them. It's God. It's Jesus. Like, you have got to understand this. This is why Paul is saying here, you're hearing all these things from these false teachers that crept in that I'm exaggerating this truth, that it's not authoritative, that it's not true, that it's not a gospel that saves, and, and you're hearing these things. He goes, but man, I mean, you remember who I was at everything going for me. I was the leading rabbi of my time, but God got a hold of me, he'll say in a minute. So right before you look at verse 15, just let's be reminded of Paul's transformation. I'm just going to read it. Acts 9, just nine verses. This is what happened. We talked about this briefly last week. But, but his name used to be Saul. He was one of the smartest men under the Jewish system, teaching, learning, fulfilling. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's people who believe in Jesus Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I always find that interesting, persecuting me. He was persecuting the church. Yet Jesus sees the church and him so inextricably connected that to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus himself. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Yeah, I would have loved to have been there for that one, right? That would have been awesome. And then he tells him what to do. When Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. I, I, do, I just want you to know. When he says he's going to save you, he's going to save you. And he's going to strike him blind in just a minute. So he says, rise, enter that city, and you'll be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing, and they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And you'll see this wonderful man, Ananias, God uses, scale fall from his eyes. He's transformed. He's saved. God says, you're going to suffer for my name. And he goes on to be an ambassador of planting churches, preaching the glorious news that Jesus fulfills the whole Old Testament and that righteousness can be found in him alone, in grace alone, through faith alone. And which is why we are sitting here even today from him, for him going to the Gentiles. So, so here he says all this. So you get the picture, right? He's got letters saying, okay, if anyone believes in this thing, grandparents, aunt, uncles, children, hey, let's bring them to me. I want them killed. I want them dealt with. I want this whole good news of Jesus Christ shut down. I don't want this message going out. I don't want it furthered. I don't want it heralded. That's, that's, that's Saul. And all of a sudden he walks and he hears Jesus. He sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he saves him and transforms him. Now, my question to you is, what in the world did Paul do to deserve that? Like, <laughs> do you think Paul, on the road to Damascus with letters, blurting out evil threats, was eager to meet Jesus? Do you think he was seeking Jesus? Does he have a nice spiritual discipline resume? He wants to murder. <laughs> it doesn't matter what his strength finders are. 
Like he is with these intentions. What caused Saul to deserve that? And why did God see him and reach in and say, I'm going to save you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you an ambassador for my name. I'm going to show you that joy can be found in me and not in all these traditions and religious activities that you're trying to follow. I can show you that you can be freed from your idolatry. I can show you that, that sin can be dealt with in, in me alone. He's, he says, I'm going to show you that. He strikes him blind and he does it. And man, Paul was trying to please men. Paul had no intentions of this. Now, now I know because some of you guys think like me. You're going, well, no, no, no. I mean, God knew that, that Paul was passionate. So at least he's passionate about something. So he's like, all right, I'm going to save Paul and use Paul. Listen, God does not need you. I love you. He does not need you and me. His cosmic work that he is fully finishing, he does not need any of us in this room, right? He is not at any point in time in heaven going, man, I just feel a little weak, feel a little tired. Man, if I could just get a Mike Reed to get up and preach, man, then my cosmic authority would really be seen. Like, he's, he's never said that. Like, he's not looking at his, his omnipotence going, man, it's droopy today. He's not ever done that. He is fully, consistently, holy, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, inexhaustible, infinite, and in all of his works and ways. He does not need you and I. He actually invites you and I to participate in his work of redemption. So actually, newsflash, you and I get the better end of the deal. Like, it's not, hey, I need you. Hey, I need you for my work. I can't quite finish it without you. He is fully satisfied in himself, and he says, hey, let me let you join me so your joy might be full. That's actually good news. I don't know if you knew that. Now it's not up to you. Now it's not on you. Now the pressure doesn't abide to you. It's, oh my gosh, I get to serve the king. I get to be in his chambers. I get to walk in his grace. I get to be used with his authority and power. That's insane that he would let me participate in his redemptive work. This is what Paul's getting after here. He does not need us. You need to know that. And so we can't use the expression that, well, Paul was really passionate, so God decided to use him because he was passionate. Because look at what he says in verse 15. But he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased. Listen, there's something I do when I study. I just love circling words that, that I want to know more about. Listen, if there's anything I want to know, I want to know what pleases God. I want to know what gives him pleasure. I want to know what wells up joy in his heart. And he gives you one. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Wait, 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 wait. God set Paul, set Paul apart from birth? That's nuts. Do you guys read the same Bible, right? You got your Bible in front of you, right? He set him apart from birth. You have Paul who was a violent, deplorable, wicked man setting out to kill Christians and persecute all who would believe in his name, who used the law to oppress those who love Jesus Christ. And God, through all of that, had a plan for the life of Paul that was sealed into Paul from the womb. And then this is what's even more amazing is that God would patiently allow him to blaspheme his name, belittle his glory, all the while waiting for the time that he would call him out by grace. That's why he says he called me out by grace. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I mean, it's just because God decided to save me. He, he saw me in my sin, yet God was patient with me in my sin. It was God who initiated, God who pursued, God who called, God who decided. God just saved me. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but this is your conversion. 
Like, 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 like God does not need to force you to love him. He's not a weak God. He just needs to reveal himself. And that's Acts 9 on the road. He just reveals himself. Paul's like, oh, worship, follow, do whatever you say. I mean, that's, that's Paul. Look at his life, right? That's what happened to all of us in one shape or form. He uses confession to repentance. He uses preaching. He uses the proclamation of the gospel. He uses you hearing it in some way, shape, or form to where you are seeing the risen Christ just like Acts 9, and he calls you by grace, not by any work, so you have no place ever to boast. Sealed him from the womb. What did Paul do to deserve that? Nothing. That's right, nothing. It was God's grace. It was God's mercy. Amazing. So you know what's awesome about this is no one's able to say in this room, you don't know my past though. Because God just gave you objective evidence from the scriptures that he does know and he hasn't destroyed you. So grace may be at work here. Right? I love that it said it pleased God to do this. I don't know about you, I have so much trouble getting my mind around that, that it actually pleased God to save me. Isn't there a party that thinks he's still regretting it? Right? Man, I saved Mike, but I, if I had known what he would do there, I never, he has, you know he's never regretted one day in his life, sealing you for eternity and calling you by his grace and saying, I'm going to save you by grace alone, through faith alone, through no works of your own. I determined it. I'm after you. I was riding your coattails. Did you know he's never regretted that? You know that just shouts out grace, 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 grace. You know what that brings? Security, security, security. You want assurance? You've got to understand grace. But you want stability in your relationship with the Lord? You remember John 10, 28, all who he saves, he never lets out of his hand. It's not about you keeping yourself in the fold. It's about him sovereignly taking you, saving you, and keeping you. And he will never let go because he's a perfect father. When he saves, he saves finally and fully. He does not save temporarily. So this helps us. This gives us assurance that, man, when God saves, we're saved. It saves us from the, the condemnation, the lies, the, and it gave him pleasure on the road to Damascus to reveal his son to Paul. Have you ever thought about that? Have you actually thought about that? It actually gave God such great delight and joy to reveal his son to you? Have you ever thought about that? Like it actually pleased him. Like, like he wasn't forced into it. It was his idea. This made me think of Jeremiah 1. Verse 5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God says, man, even before I put you in the mother's womb, I knew you. Man, I, I had this plan for you to be a prophet. The question is, what did Jeremiah do to deserve that? Nothing. I thought about John the Baptist in Luke 1. But an angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Holy moly. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. What did John do to be so blessed, to have the Holy Spirit from birth? Man, what did Jeremiah do to be called a prophet of the nations? What did Saul do to be converted to Paul and be a church-planting missionary to the Gentiles? Man, what did you do? What did I do the same thing? 
Nothing. Nothing. It just pleased God to reveal his son to you and me. That's what grace is. That's why Paul says he set me apart and called me by grace. Remember what grace is? It's all about him. It's not about us. That's why Ephesians 2 can say, you'll have no boasting rights in glory. When you stand before the judgment seat and you're going to need a champion, no one's going to be able to say, I got a few good swings. No, you've got Christ stepping in your place as your champion for you, who finished it for you, who saved you. I mean, just take a moment. Like, just think about your life right now. Just take an honest assessment. Is it really because you're a person who always pursued God and wanted to know Him that you're a Christian? Or was it God He put you maybe in a Christian family? You didn't have any rights as to where you were born. He put you in a Christian family where you started hearing the truths of the gospel. He put you around preachers, other men and women who discipled you or taught you, or you were, I don't know, hearing a sermon on a podcast, or you read a verse somewhere, you found a Bible, or was it really you seeking after him, wanting to be in relationship with him, not wanting to be the God of your life, wanting to admit you were wicked and depraved? Was that really your idea? Or was it God's grace? Or was it God's pursuit? Or was it God's kindness? Or did God put a friend in your life that caused you to consider Christian things and the truth of the Scripture? What, 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 what was it? I mean, because was it really you? Was it really you? And even if you're like, well, yeah, I woke up one morning with a desire. Did you know that was the Holy Spirit? Did you know that God pleased himself by showing you the truth and even allowing you to consider and think about truths that you did not want to believe in and did not want to see and didn't want to submit to? It was God's goodness, God's pleasure, because we would all be like Paul if God does not intervene and God does not love us first. We would be spiritual, but without Christ. We'd be religious, but without Christ. We'd be moral, but without Christ. We'd be philosophical, but without Christ, all which lead to damnation. Because if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. And Christ alone is everything. So if you have him and you've been saved by him and adopted by him, you have everything. Let me really take some time. I did this this week. I just considered my life, and I marveled at the mercy of God. I was put in a great family. Yeah, parents love the Lord, but, but man, I, I still have my own wandering ways, my own dark heart. And God consistently, by his grace, pursued me, went after me, put faithful men and women in my life to hear the truth of the scriptures and consider the teachings of Jesus. And it wasn't me. It was God's gracious pursuit of me. And here's why this grace, 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 start to finish, it's all about him, is because if God started it, he'll finish it. And that's the only way you could ever have security in your walk with Jesus. To where you don't start leaning and try to earn what's already freely been given. Look at me for just a moment. The true gospel is the ability to fully rest in your all-encompassing, perfect, beautiful acceptance in Jesus Christ. And then having outward actions that flow out of your perfect rest and your unbelievable, undeniable, sure acceptance in Jesus Christ. It is not a let me do so that I can become. It's because of who I am. Let me begin to do. 
Like, like that's, that's the good news. Because of who you are and what God's made you and the grace that's invaded you, then you begin to be. And then he, I love this, he just, he shows what happened after his conversion and he continues to show how it was God revealing these things and God's grace and God's pursuit. He says, I didn't immediately consult with anyone, verse 16, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I don't lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. What is happening? Is this the same Paul? Why is Paul coming to us wanting to advance the gospel? We know about Paul. Paul, are you sure you're good? You got a gun in your back pocket, a knife hidden somewhere? Are you like ready to come in here to sabotage this mission? And here's what's happening is he just started sharing his conversion, what happened right after. His false teachers started coming in, and what they were telling the church in Galatia is they were hearing what Paul had written was. They were saying, hey, Paul, he's just teaching another religion. He's just teaching another philosophy. He's just teaching another perspective. It's not special. It's not authoritative. You probably, he probably just learned it from the other apostles. They brainwashed him, said everything, and now he wants to advance his cause. And Paul goes, that's absolutely not true. Oh, Paul's probably piggybacking on all the other apostles before him. And he just says here, that's not true. I didn't consult with anyone before this happened. I, I didn't even, I just saw none of those other apostles for three years. He went and got time with Jesus, who is God, and he continued to reveal to him the truth and the good news of the gospel. It was a revelation of Jesus Christ. And what's amazing, he's going, hey, I'm not saying the same thing because these other apostles told me. We're all saying the same thing because we all heard the same thing from God and Jesus Christ. We're all eyewitnesses to him. That's why the message adds up. That's why the truth adds up. That's why all the details add up. He goes, I spent three years before I even came to meet Peter and remained with him, right, to, to form friendship. Because Peter was an eyewitness. And Peter, I want to make sure these things were all the same. Amazing claim. My authority doesn't come from me. It comes from God. I told you here, any, any teacher preaching himself and not Christ, he's a false teacher. If you have a teacher who's trying to manipulate and edit the scriptures, he's not a true teacher, he's a false teacher. True teachers teach the scriptures and preach Christ. They don't preach themselves. They don't elevate man. They elevate God. They don't diminish sin. They actually are honest about sin. And they're honest about salvation and honest about wrath and honest about atonement and honest about hell and honest about all the things we need to be sure of to make grace that much more beautiful and awesome and enjoyable as the people of God. So be so careful as you're listening because Paul is reminding them this. See, when I started reading the Bible for myself, not just listening to what a preacher said. When I first started reading the Bible, one, one thing I learned very quickly was that the scriptures never speak of itself as a human philosophy. Like, they, they never make that claim. It never says it's speculative, ever. It never says man is out grasping for God, trying to figure out what he's like. It says, actually, the opposite. 
that you don't need speculation. I'm giving you divine revelation, and I'm revealing who I am and how things work and how you can be loved by me and bought by me and secured by me and how sins can be dealt with and how you can know Jesus and how you can know the truth. This is why Paul says it wasn't about these bunch of apostles brainwashing me. I didn't even meet those guys until years later. Which is why they all knew this. Because they all said, man, this dude who was trying to persecute us is now with us. What happened to him? He must have met with Jesus. He must have been given revelation that we were given. He must have been transformed by the same gospel we were transformed by. The same Holy Spirit that transformed us. That must have happened because... Paul's life is evidence of that. And he's making an important distinction here. He's revealing he isn't teaching something different from the other apostles, but the same thing. And he isn't teaching the same thing because he was with them. It's because they all had been given it by Jesus, who is God. And God is their authority. That's why false teachers are over the authority of the scriptures or alongside. True teachers are underneath the authority of the scriptures. That's their final authority. And they just say what it says. That's how it's easy to spot or discern who's a true teacher or a false teacher. And that's why I love that he says in verse 20 there, and what I'm writing to you, man, I'm telling you before God, I'm not lying. I know you probably think I am, but I'm not lying. This is insane. God gripped me, struck me blind. Jesus revealed himself. I'm saved. He's amazing. He's worth treasuring. He's all satisfying. He forgives me of sin. He, he put me on a new path. I see this gospel that I once hated as glorious and saving. I was once an enemy of God. I'm now a friend of God. I was dead to my sin. I'm now alive in Christ. I was in a dominion of darkness. I'm now walking in marvelous light. I'm just here to testify. That's what Paul says. And now he goes to preach this glorious news. He goes, and, and I know you probably may think I'm lying. I was how do you think I'm lying? I, I was the one out saying Jesus is a liar, and I'm saying he's the truth. I was out saying, you know, kill everyone who loves Jesus, and now I'm saying save everyone who should know Jesus. Of course I'm not making this stuff up. And everyone's going, that's not true, Paul. You know, when, uh, when I was sitting in my, my dorm room, I shared last week that crisis of faith moment I had for three months. God, reveal yourself through your word, not through a pastor, preacher, teacher, friend, parents. I, I just, I mean, I need to know how you say the truth and what you reveal in your word. And I learned one of the greatest arguments for the truth of Christianity in those three months was simply its content. <laughs> I'm a skeptic by nature. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a skeptical about everything. My wife comes in, we should eat this. Why? You know, <laughs> organic, I don't care. Organic is standing for ozone. We got ozone layers in our food. I, I, I just, I got to know reasons for everything. So I'm, I'm reading and I'm going, no one would make this stuff up. I mean, listen, that's why I'm like, I don't know if you've read your Bible. A lot of people come in, they got accusations. I always say, have you read the Bible? Have you read the scriptures? Have you examined it for yourself? Have you looked at it? Because I'm, I'm looking at it going, no one make this stuff up. I mean, think about it. Okay, what's the human condition of the heart? Wicked and depraved. Yeah, we'd make that up. We don't even like that as Christians. You don't even like hearing that about yourself. There's no way we'd make that up. What's God like? One God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't even understand it, but we'll make it up and say it's true. I mean, how about doctrine of hell? You think you'd make that up? Eternal torment for those who wouldn't believe in the exclusivity of Jesus? Why would you make that up? What? 
Why would you have James, brother of Jesus, who is telling him he's a lunatic, he's being a psych ward or come home, who's now giving his life as a ransom for the gospel overnight? What, what? You could have a list, a list of other things. Listen, Paul's basically saying, there are things that I, even I did not necessarily like. Things that I despised. Because a lot of people dismiss Christianity with, well, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. And I'm going to bring you back to, do you think Paul was excited to meet Jesus? Do <laughs> you think he grabbed hold of it because he couldn't wait to adore and worship Jesus Christ? The one who he was trying to crucify men and women for? And that's why I want to bring us back to what you will find in Christianity is that it never makes the claim that it's wildly popular. It has never made the claim that it's always going to be academically pleasing. It has never made the claim that you can receive all that it says and keep all the things you still love. It's never said that. The one thing it's emphatically, continually, unashamedly said is that it's the truth. And you can read it for yourself. It's always testified that it's the truth. It's never said any of those other things. It's never said it'd be popular. It's never said everyone would like you. It never said that you can just have your life and then add Jesus in. He can just be a thing, cute little co-pilot. Never said it. It said you're transformed. You're made new. You're a whole new person. Jesus Christ is your life, is the language of Scripture. He's going to say later in chapter 2, you have died. You now live with Christ who is in you. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. You will find the opposite if you open your Bible, but it will show you that your joy will be full because when God is glorified, you'll get all your joy. And when you worship and adore him as the creative being in the proper place, worshiping the creator instead of trying to worship what he's made, thinking you can get from what he's made, what he alone can give you, you will find angst and dissension and discouragement and exhaustion in your Christian life. And he is showing us that he makes you new and he saves you and he places you in his family so that he gets glory because it's by grace alone, through faith alone, not by anything you've done. And you get to celebrate him the rest of your life and therefore your joy will be full. The Christian life is not the easiest life, but it is the best life. And the best part, he ends, verse 24. And they glorify God because of me. He always ties it back to the centrality of Christ. I love it. I love it. It's all about God and his glory. It's about him being worshiped. I love it. Mike Reed's glory is not look at how bad I was and I was bad. Mike Reed's glory is God's glory because God saved him despite him. God saved Mike Reed despite Mike Reed. That's all of our testimonies. A testimony testifies not to, whoa, look at how crazy their life was. It's that how saving is Jesus? How good is Jesus? It testifies to the one who saved, not to the person's life and how bad it was. It's always for that. This is why we boast, we brag, we celebrate glorifying Jesus, how good Jesus is. This is what Paul was about. This is what the church has to be about. And this is why it's imperative we never walk away from our Bible because it's in there where you find the true story of Jesus and the true way to life. And especially when it's not polluted with uh, political agendas and movements and causes and, you know, all of these other things. Man, when you start, you know, making it about and preaching and teaching this story that's polluted with culture and philosophies and traditions and agendas, what happens is you stop following Jesus and start following those things. You stop celebrating Jesus and start celebrating other things. You need to celebrate the only thing that transforms and makes new. 
That's why it's imperative that you stay to your scriptures. And I love that Paul does this. He brings us back and says, here's who I was. Here's Jesus. And here's who I am now. Praise God. Let me boast in his name. Let me glorify his name. It's not an arrogant, here's what I've done. It's a humble, look at what God's done for me. We want to be a humble people, a meek people. Now to end, some of you guys are a cerebral thinker like me, and you're still stuck going, what if he hasn't set me apart from birth? What if it doesn't please him to reveal his son to me? I would just encourage you to look at the objective evidence that you're here today. That God in his kindness would lay you here to hear the truth of who God is and how good he is and how saving he is and the only pathway to life. I mean, I mean there's a lot of other places you could be this morning, Right? I don't know, going to a football game. You could be having lunch somewhere. You could be sleeping in. You could be, I don't know. A lot of the places you could be, but you find yourself here. I don't know, it could have been your spouse that dragged you here. It could have been a friend or neighbor that was like, hey man, come to church. They forced you here. Praise God. Cat out of the bag. They want you to know Jesus. I don't know what they told you on the drive, but they want you to know Jesus, right? That's why you're here. It wasn't, hey man, let's go for coffee. Hey, you want to swing by this building in the back warehouse real quick? That wasn't it, man. I want you to know, man, we love you. We want to we even have humor in that for you that, man, we want you to know Jesus. We're not going to hide behind it, be ashamed of it, kind of, you know, bait and switch on you. Man, we want you to know that truth can be found, can be known, can be have. That's why you're here. So listen, before you go, before you go judging God, at, is he going to do this for me? Look at the ways he's already demonstrated objective kindness and placed you here so that he might call you to himself. And have you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And that, that, that deals with the scripture says you confess and repent. That means you, you confess that, man, I'm not God and there's only one. That, that I believe my way was best and I believed it's now a train wreck. I believed sin was better and more satisfying. I realized that Jesus is better and more satisfying. I, my allegiance was to everything outside of him and my allegiance is to him now. I die to myself. I live to Christ. He pays my debt. I realized that, that the best news of all is Jesus plus nothing is everything, that, that he was crushed for my failings, that he's my righteous life now, that he is my wrath-absorbing death for me in my place. And you get salvation by grace, by nothing you've done. Not because it was your idea to be here. Not because you thought it was a, a cool idea to find him beautiful and good. But because he said, even though I've watched you across your life, wander, belittle, blaspheme, in my patience, I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to set you in my family forever. And I'm going to adopt you as my own. And I'm going to gift you my spirit. That's Jesus. And that's his offer to you on the table today is that your life can be a former life. No one in this room has the right to pull self-pity card and say, well, I'm just too bad. That belittles the grace of God and cross of Christ as much as the one who scoffs saying he's too good for it. Both are in need. This is why we're going to come to the table to remember Jesus, the centrality of Jesus in all things because it's easy to forget him, that him plus nothing is everything. I want to be nourished by that reminder. And Jesus says, if you come to me and repent of your sin, I will not cast you out. His mercy and his offer is made available to you this morning. Might he bring you to that place. Father, thank you that, that it's your grace alone that calls us and saves us and sustains us. Thank you that, that we do not believe in anything that we've participated in to earn the salvation we've been given. Thank you that it is by 
your free work and your grace. God, I pray that some might receive this gift of grace. I pray that some might believe in the name of Jesus Christ and be saved, that some might repent of sin and turn to you as good, saving, and Lord. God, I pray for those of us that are tempted to desert the gospel of grace. You would keep us firmly rooted in the very thing that sustains us and keeps us. Father, I pray we would not come to the table hastily, but take a moment to consider this week and confess and we need to confess, but then come gladly celebrating that you're good and that you alone are the one who keeps us. Thank you for loving sinners. Thank you for your patience. Would you continue to save and establish trophies of grace that glorify your name? In Jesus' name, amen.